Well, welcome to Inspiring Voice. With all the distractions and the noise in the world, are you able to hear your own inspiring voice? Are you able to use your voice to create those healthy human connections so you can thrive in business and in life? I'm Donna Ristikin Mack, the creator of Inspiring Voice and founder of iVoice Communication. We envision a world where everyone has the confidence and the ability to communicate and to connect. And this is the podcast. We begin the Inspiring Voice podcast with audio from the archives, interviews that were conducted between the years 2003 and 2009 when I did a radio show called Vital Women. You know, when I found these and I listened to them just a few weeks back, I realized that their content is just as valuable now as it was then, so I decided to share. So thanks for listening. Here's the archived interviews and wisdom, some deep wisdom from Vital Women on the Inspiring Voice Podcast. Now, as you can see, the female-producing X chromosome is clearly larger than its counterpart. It's a girl! We are from Venus. Your goal is to do cardio or an aerobic workout at least three days a week. When I grow up, I want to be an architect. When I grow up, I want to be a mother, a ballerina, and a doctor. We are from Venus. And lift! We're almost done. Don't give up now. You can do it. Good morning. This is Donna Mack, and you're listening to Vital Women on 93.3 Coast FM. We come in all shapes and sizes, from different kinds of backgrounds and ethnic groups. But one thing's for sure, we are better women when we work together to accomplish what we set out to do. And that's the goal of our Vital Women program, to show you the steps women have taken to get to where they are. Now, while the power invested in me, let no man put us under. Now, our blood flows through each other, loyal forever. Raise our voices. Hello, and thanks for tuning in. Not often do I have a guest on Vital Women Radio with so many different areas of expertise. Today you'll meet Ann Jolis, a woman with knowledge about entrepreneurship and raising children, writing and ballroom dancing, substance abuse and adoption, and not necessarily in that order. Anne is also a self-described fun artist, as opposed to a fine artist, and she's not afraid to make mistakes, as long as she's able to keep learning and growing and teaching. A little something for everyone today from my featured guest, Anne Jolis, on Vital Women. I grew up in uh, the fifth child of six kids, and in a very chaotic house, as you can imagine, we had five teenagers in the house at one time. So that it was like from 12 years old up to 20. And you can just imagine what it was like. And in addition to that, my mom was an alcoholic. So we had lots of uh, unpredictable and chaotic times in our home. And I always felt like an observer. I would watch and say, what the heck is going on here? And I, I really was an observer, just as I think I am sometimes an observer now of life. And it's, you know, I can look back now 30 and 40 years later and say, wow, 
while I was developing my gifts then, and my parents gave me some lots of wonderful gifts just by the challenges that I not only survived, but I learned to thrive. And what I do now is I try very hard to take wisdom that I learned back then and all through my years and condense it into manageable, bite-sized pieces so people can take it, take this wisdom and grab and go back into their busy lives and use it. So not only were those challenges for me, I now see them as gifts. That's wonderful to hear, actually, because there are a lot of people who grow up in alcoholic or dysfunctional homes who don't really have that positive outlook on life. Mm. I don't know if it is a positive outlook, but I think it's much more of a an outlook that I've developed over the years. Um, sometimes when I hear positive outlook, I think of the new age and positive affirmations, and my thinking is based in reality. I did receive some wonderful education just living in that home, in my home, and I guess that you'd call it a positive outlook, but I, I just see it as a perspective of that's what I was dealt, and I had choices. I could either do some really crazy, rebellious, outrageous things, or I could sort of center myself in the direction I wanted to go. And it was very unusual because as soon as I got my license, I headed to an Alateen meeting. That's That, when I look back, I say, where did that come from? You don't have teenagers doing that. So I don't know where that came from. It makes me think that maybe I, I did have a, I have a bigger purpose, and that might be to share and to reach out to people who are also struggling in similar situations. Mm-hmm. And all that I learned in my home or my family of origin, I can use in any situation now. It's not about working with families who have alcoholism or addiction, though it certainly applies there. But I find all that I learned there to be applicable to everything in my life. And I I will say this. This is interesting to me, that there are people in the world who have never heard the serenity prayer. And that kind of cracks me up because people, when they hear the serenity prayer, they think it's all about Alcoholics Anonymous. And the serenity prayer was around long before Alcoholics Anonymous. And I'd love to share that with some of your listeners because there are people who don't have the knowledge of what it is. And the, the serenity prayer is, God grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and wisdom to know the difference. Now, I don't care if you're a corporate executive. I don't care if you're a parent of teens. I don't care if you're recently out of college and looking for a job. Wherever you are, whoever you are, there is nothing better that you you can take with you than the serenity prayer. And what it's talking about is I've developed something called a serenity heart. And what I say to business groups I'm working with or whether it's parents of teens or um, anyone is draw a heart on the paper. And this is something your listeners can also do because I want them to walk away saying, hey, I can do that too. Mm-hmm. So you draw the heart and in the middle of the heart you, you write down what you have control over. And really think about that, because that's our biggest challenge in life. We spend so much of our time wrestling and trying to conquer things that we have absolutely no control over. 
So what I'm trying to share with you is a tool that will help you to stop fighting the battles you can't win. Mm -hmm. So in the middle of the heart, you write down what is in my control in your most current challenge or your biggest life situation. What's in my control? And you put it in there. And that's where you focus your energy, on the things that you can control. And then outside of the heart, you take your life situation and you say, okay, what is out of my control? And list those outside of your heart. These are the things I have no control over. These are the outcomes that I I can't control. And if you stop working on the things that you have no control over, imagine how much more time you'll have to work on the other stuff. You'll have time. You'll have energy. You'll be able to find your vitality, your creativity, your enthusiasm, your sensuality. What happens, I have found in my life, is that our life challenges can sometimes be like a big, wet blanket that just goes right over you. And it's almost like on a daily basis, our biggest job is to really reconnect with our enthusiasm, our vitality, our creativity. And I love to share simple life tools to help people be in the moment, in their life, really living life to their fullest, living full out, picking up these little tools, and then once again, connecting with their their vitality, clearing the brain clutter, connecting to what's important in their heart. And so with this little heart map, the serenity heart, they can start to get not only um, thinking about what's in their control, but they can get a picture of what's in their control and what's out of their control. And then I say, let's get that heart really strong and only let the things into your heart that you have control over. And it's almost like you really put your hand up and say to the others, stop, you're not allowed in. So this was the beginning of the grace process. How interesting. Now, each letter of the word grace stands for a different step, correct? Absolutely. The grace process is a five-step process that I developed at a time in my life where my family and I, we had cumulative challenges coming at us all at once. Um, my both my folks uh, got sick, and and by the way, my mom was was sober for the last twenty years of her life, and we were able to reunite in a really healthy, positive, loving way. And um, at the end of her life, though, she became ill at the same time my dad did. And with the six siblings, we assisted them um, over a course of a year and a half in helping them to pass away, and they did pass away within six months of each other. And we'd look at each other, and even though there were six of us most days, it wasn't enough. And um, at that time, I was also changing careers and moving into life coaching and and um, going back for more education. And I also had two very creative, very challenging teens. So my husband and I and my family had many challenges coming at us. And I had the need. I found at that time that I I lost my bounce in life. I lost my breath. I lost my balance. And I found that I almost felt like I needed a shovel to dig beneath the challenges that we were all experiencing and find my energy again on a daily basis. And that was when I, I would say to myself, I need to be able to step into a state of grace. And somehow I saw in the, in the word grace five words that led me out 
of my, I would say, of my pain and out of my struggles. And the five words I saw are an acronym. The first one is, so each, each is a letter in the word grace. The first one is G is for gratitude. And so it's really an appreciative question. What's going right in my life? What am I grateful for? And I find that most people start with, what's going wrong? Well, this is a process that starts with what's going right. Because even in our darkest hour, there are things going right, but we're not noticing them. Mm-hmm. So that's where it starts. Mm-hmm. The next one is R is for release. What do I need to let go of? And just asking yourself that is, is releasing itself. The next one is A is for accept or acknowledge. And I like to say sometimes we don't even know what's right in front of us, what's right under our nose. And that's what that step is about, is really what is right under my nose that I need to acknowledge or accept. C is for creation and challenge. This is the action step. What do you want to commit to? What are you going to put out there as your intentions to the world? Um, so that's the action step of this five-step process. And the last one is E is for embrace. Embrace or energy. Where do I want my energy to flow? The question for the, for the E is, if I were to stop fighting it and throw my arms out and embrace it, what would be possible from here? And that's, that is the last step of grace. And it was interesting because I started doing this myself, and I just asked myself the five questions and answer. And I, call, I would call my husband periodically at work, and say, just listen to me for a few minutes. He was sort of like my tether to sanity. And he, the guy is so patient, he'd listen. And one night, my husband John came home and said, let's do grace together. And that was when I knew I had something. And we spent that summer, we, every night after work, we'd walk around the block, and I'd simply ask him the question, what's going right? What are you grateful for? And then I'd listen to him. And then he'd ask me. And we'd walk through the, the, the process of grace. And we found that we often start in a place of fear or, or just constriction. And by the end, we felt much more expansive. We felt like much more was possible. And we could go on with, with a different mindset. And that was when I realized I had something. And how wonderful to be able to do it together yeah. and how healthy for a relationship yeah. and for a marriage. Yeah. You also mentioned the fact that this process came to you right in the middle of a, a chaotic time in your life uh, when you were raising teenage children. Mm-hmm. And these are teenage adoptive children, correct? Yeah, both of my children were adopted. Mm-hmm. And um, that's all I know is to be adopt- an adoptive mother. I don't have children by birth. Um, I can say that I don't, I can't imagine feeling any more connected or being any more of a mother to two humans in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but the adoption piece brings different issues, and people have to know that before they choose to become a family by adoption. It does bring different issues because both of my children have other mothers and fathers. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the first, the young years, um, certainly we'd always speak about it, there was always honesty. But as kids approach the teens and they're having breaking away issues, well, they're not only breaking away from me, but they've already bre- broken away from another set of parents. So it gets complex. And not 
it, it's something that I have found that I've had to learn more about so that I could know what was going on and sort of manage the process. But, you know, we all come to life with different patterns and history, and it all enters, has entered my family, and it's just made us who we are. But with the extra challenges mm-hmm. of raising not only teens, but teens who had originally been adopted, um, what were you dealing with? Issues that perhaps I'm unaware of or aren't dealing with myself, considering my children are biological. I think one of the biggest challenges for me as an adoptive mom is to step into the role of drop the whole adoptive thing. I'm it. Mm. I'm the mom. My husband's the dad. And that, to me, there were times when I felt like, am I just babysitting until they reunite? Mm. And it's interesting because both of my children are in the reunion process with their birth families, different stages of it. And I won't share that because that's their story. My story is I can talk about being a mom. And they'll have their story to write about their reunions. But I will say that a little trick that I've learned is I, I sort of try to think of the birth families as in-laws. And I'll say that to my daughter because I recently became aware of the fact that I think she felt if she reunited with her birth mom that she'd be a traitor to me. And I said to her, Alexa, you can't have too many people in your life who love you. I said, look at your grandmother. She's dad's mom. We've made room in our life, and we love her, and she's brought some wonderful, wonderful things to our life. And that's how I envision the birth families. It's very similar, and for me, that's comfortable. So I feel like the mom, because I am the mom, but they do have other moms, Mm -hmm. and they will develop relationships. And that, to me, is really has been key in my growth as an adoptive mom. Ann Jolis with us this morning on Vital Women. Thank you so much for listening. My name is Donna Mack. Anne is the creator of The Grace Process, and she also, how interesting, Anne, just developed a website not long ago called Drive Through Parenting Wisdom. Now, it was obviously the struggles and the challenges that you have persevered or in the process of persevering through that have led to this website. I I really, I was perusing it the other day, and it's so very interesting. Some really great advice for parents of Mm -hmm. teens. Mm -hmm. Well, what I try to do is I hang out with a lot of parents of teens, Mm -hmm. and I just listen. I listen to what they think is working and what's not working, and I once again, I try to condense it into little bite-sized pieces, because I don't think there's a more tired, worried, harder-working group of people than parents of teens today. So what would you say? What is the best way that we can communicate with our teenagers in this day and age? Well, I think the best way to communicate with your teenagers is to look what's going right in your home and get more of that going. The publicity is so negative about teens. And believe me, there's a lot out there that's nasty. But if we can really focus on what is working in our home, what is the strength of your teenager, and get the message across that what is strong and good about you is way better than what's not working right. Because we all have challenges. And if you can really sit in that perspective and embrace it, that there's not a straight line or a perfect way to do this, that it's really 
you, you know, you're learning as you go along. Mm-hmm. And I, I would say a really important thing for me and in my home is to have allies. I have other parents who are older than me and have lived through this and can, you know, give me some feedback. I call on professionals when I need them. I call on um, teenagers and ask them, you know, what, what's, what is this all about? And I try to gather as many perspectives as I possibly can, and I know who to call on when I need them. Mm-hmm. I have a wonderful network of people who I know and love, and that, to me, has made all the difference. I also love your 10 sanity rules of being a parent of a teenager. Right. I gathered up 10 rules that I have found that have really helped me to stay sane. And I do share those on my um, website and on my blog. And I think that um, I certainly talk about allies. And I think the number one rule is to know that you can't always keep your sanity. That's number one rule is, and there is no way to keep your sanity. What I, what I love to share with parents of teens or, like I said, business people or anyone I'm working with is that it's about learning to bounce. It is about resiliency. You are going to have challenges that come at you from all different directions, especially if you're a parent of teens. And the important thing is to learn some tools and strategies and perspectives that will help you to bounce. The last thing we want to hear is a thud and a crash with every challenge that your teen brings to you or that you bring to your family. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's what I really try to share is help people to grow more resilient. Mm -hmm. Because I guess that's the bottom line, isn't it? We yeah. need to walk our walk and talk our talk. Because right. if we're crashing and burning, then they're going to think that that's the way it has to be. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think our biggest job as parents of teens is to inspire them. Because communication is not always good. There may be lots of doors slamming in your house. And if your teen can look at you and get nonverbal messages of you being centered and healthy, and whole amidst the challenges, then that's a message all of itself. That's not something you can get a book. That's not something they're going to get at the movies. That's something they're going to get every day at home. And, you know, we're all trudging forwards to our destiny. And if you can do that in a more calm, centered way, then that's the best message you can give to your teenager. Well, Angelus, you have to tell us how you, on a personal level, stay as healthy as you can. I mean, usually when I pose this question, the person says, oh, come on, I'm really not that healthy. I mean, we all have our challenges. But what do you do on a daily or a weekly basis to try to stay as positive and forward-moving as possible? Well, I have spent quite a bit of time trying to figure out what makes me tick and what makes me feel alive. And I've done that also in my home. So I am able to create situations and even vacation experiences that we all can enjoy together. But on a daily basis, I find that I have to start my day in quiet and reconnect to my strengths, reconnect to what I know is the most important thing to me. I do that with journaling I love to cartoon and draw. Um, I know that for me also movement 
is huge. There's research now that is connecting movement with being as powerful as antidepressants. And if I'm not moving forward on wheels on a daily basis, either on my rollerblades or my bike, um, then I know I'm not as happy as I can be. I can really let go of so much when I'm, when I'm exercising. But it's not just exercise, because some people go, oh, the gym. I find things I love to do. My husband and I have now been taking ballroom dancing for a year and a half. And let me tell you, it took me eight months to learn how to follow. <laughs> Forget the steps. It took me eight months to actually stop trying to lead. And so my husband and I and, and my family have certainly, we take the time to figure out what makes us feel alive. And then I try to infuse that into my life every day. Some days it's easier than others. And some days it really works. But for the most part, um, I have found I have found ways to connect connect with my aliveness. Love that. And another question that I often pose is, what are you reading? Uh, are you into the self help genre of books in this day and age, or do you try to escape at the end of a long hard day into a nice juicy novel? Mm-hmm. I do both. Mm-hmm. I my husband and I, and actually my. Um, my teenagers and I will often go to the uh, the big bookstores, and everyone gets what they want to drink, and then we all disappear for an hour and and just go grab things. I call it a curiosity walk. It's all, often the first homework that I assign to some of my coaching clients is just go out and be curious. Find the book that's calling to you. And um, I, I will admit I just read Harry Potter from cover to cover on my vacation, and it was funny because my family thought I was on vacation with them, but I was really on vacation with Harry Potter because it was fabulous. The day before I left, I got this fabulous 700-page adventure, and I never had a dull moment. Before. How long did it take you to read it? I started it on Sunday, and I was done by Thursday evening. Oh, you are a Harry Potter nut like my daughter. Yes. Well, they found me one time. I was sitting on the roof reading it. Everyone was like, where's mom? And, I, and then they found me up on the roof. But um, I did just read a fabulous book by Lynn Cox, Swimming to Antarctica. And oh my God, was that wonderful about a woman who has just challenged herself from age 14, I think when she first swam the English Channel. And she um, just has uh, challenged herself to swim and break records in all of the most dangerous, challenging waterways in the world. So I just found her totally inspiring and something that I'm not um, familiar with at all, uh, competitive swimming. And um, so I love to read um, things about other inspirational people who have, who are walking the talk and swim in the talk. Mm-hmm. And um, the thought that she, she gets in the ocean at night, that's when she does these swims, with um, surfboarders next to her and a boat in front of her, but um, in the middle of the night. And that's because the currents are usually less and the wind is less and the waves are less, and that's when she does most of her swims. And I try to just, you know, pull some really inspirational and metaphorical situation from from books like that. Um, so I, I switch off from a lot of self-help and to, you know, search for things that... Um, inspire me. And I'm thinking about that author you just mentioned. It was Lynn Cox? Lynn Cox, yes. I think you and Lynn have something in common where you probably feel as though, even though you're at this middle-aged place in your life, I bet you feel as though (laughs) you've just begun Mm. and you have a lot of places Mm. to go and to explore. Mm. 
Absolutely. I'm 53. Mm-hmm. And I say to myself when I'm scared, you're never going to be more gorgeous. You're never going to be smarter. You're not going to, never going to have more wisdom. You're never going to be rich. What am I waiting for? This is it. I'm in my fifth decade. I have so many wonderful, rich challenges that I have not only survived, but I'm thriving. And, um, you know, just like Lynn Cox, I have this great story from the vineyard, you know, when we were down there. I don't know if you know, but Jaws was filmed there. Mm -hmm. And for years, I've been going to the bridge. I call it the Jaws Bridge. And I go, and I've been the designated photographer as my husband and my kids jump off the bridge. I'm the cheerleader. Well, I decided last year, last summer, that I was going to be a jumper. And I, it took me four days into my vacation. First, I'd go to the bridge with them. They're all jumping, and it was too cloudy for me. The next day, I think I saw a jellyfish. There was no way I was going in with any jellyfish. The third day, I think it was a little too wavy. But by the fourth day, I was ready to, to climb over the railing with all of the other kids, mostly fathers and, um, and, and kids, mostly boys. And um, as soon as I got on the other side of the railing, I heard... Boom, 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 boom. I heard the Jaws music. And I have pictures of this on my website where I actually just jumped. And it was exhilarating. And the water was fabulous. And I ended up, by the end of the day, getting three other mothers who were the designated photographers to jump with me. And, oh, my God, what fun. And I really feel at this point in my life, if I don't keep pushing and having fun and stretching that that I will get old. And I'm really working on all fronts to stay as young and alive as I possibly can. (laughs) And I know because right before I turned the microphone on, Anne, as you just mentioned what you mentioned, you do have to take the chance from time to time at least and dare to suck. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. That's that's an attitude that I love to share with people because it's something that they, years later, people will say to me, Anne, I'm still daring to suck. And I got this um, quote or this, this uh, expression from a Carol King concert. I was in the audience with, you know, hundreds of or probably thousands of other people. And in the middle of the concert, Carol says, OK, stop everything. This is where we improvise and we write a song. And every night of their tour, a different band member was responsible to bring something to the concert. It might have been a little snippet from um, something inspirational or a little melody. And they would start it and the band would improvise. And they said some nights they write this fabulous song and other nights it really sucks. <laughs> and they said, this is the time in the concert where we dare to suck. And I use that picture and I hold that image with me. If Carol King can sit in front of thousands of people and actually write a song that sucks, that I can go to my next challenge and dare to suck. Because if I'm holding on to trying to be perfect, or I'm trying to be the expert, or I'm trying to always look good, then I'm never swinging out there and taking risks. And that's the only way to um, move to your edge and grow. Mm -hmm. And so I love to share that attitude, the dare to suck attitude. And um, it's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. 
Well, thank you so much for sharing. Thank you for daring to suck. Uh-huh. And <laughs> thank you for inspiring us this morning. And Jolis, if uh, anybody wants more information about you or your uh, drive-through parenting wisdom, uh-huh. what's the best way they can get a hold of you? They can get a hold of me at www.annjolis.com. And it's A-N-N-E-J-O-L-L-E-S. And there's lots of wonderful um, free things that people can get at my website and certainly some wisdom and I hope a couple of laughs. That's what it's all about. Angelus, thank you so much for joining us this morning on Vital Women. Thank you, Donna. Vital Women. Remember, we are better women when we work together. If you know of a woman who could be featured on this program, she doesn't have to be rich or famous, just down to earth and inspiring. Let us know about her. listening to the best of vital women radio some wisdom from vital women on the inspiring voice podcast the vital women interviews were recorded between the years 2003 and 2009 they originally aired on clear channel communication and now they have a home right here inspiring voice it's the media outlet of iVoice communication the inspiring voice podcast is produced by nicholas young music by jeffrey blake and i am donna rustigian mack please connect with us anytime at iVoice communication if you'd like to become a more confident speaker and successful interpersonal communicator you can contact us through iVoiceCommunication.com. We'll leave you with this one. It's our hope that through a little bit of quiet every day, you can hear your own inspiring voice and be your own inspiring voice so you can create those healthy human connections and build a rich, rewarding life and career. Mm-hmm.